Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mailbag. Nothing personal word of the day. It's a mailbag episode. I love these. It means that you've gone on Apple. You've rated our show. Nothing personal with David Sampson. You've given it five stars and you've left a review where you write. Hey, Sampson. Nice show. Hey, Coca. Nice haircut. Hey, Coca. Bad show. Hey, Sampson. Terrible show. But I got a question. So you put your questions in a review and we'll do a mailbag episode. Sometimes we do them once a month, sometimes a few times a month, sometimes every two months. We did a bunch of them in August. I can't remember why. I think I was somewhere, but I'm completely forgetting where. And that's not a put on. Someone actually asked in a review or wrote a review and only gave our show four stars because, hey, he always acts like he doesn't remember. And that's getting old. Yes, I was in Iceland and I had forgotten. I promise you, the audience who's watching this on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, and I promise those of you who are downloading and rating and reviewing and following and telling your friends, when I don't remember something, I'm alone here. I've got Coke in my ear. I have a camera in front of me. I have lights to my left and right. I don't have notes. I've got an outline of what we're going to talk about and what subjects we're going to talk about. We've gone through, not rehearsed, but Coca knows what's in my head that I want to talk about during the course of a show. But what Coca can't predict, and nor can I, is during the course of a show, things just come up. I'll think of a story. He calls it a detour, and he'll yell in my ear, get back on the road, or he'll put it in, in a live document we have on, on a document here that's a living document. He'll write, move on, or wrap up, or he'll highlight something. But when I say I don't remember something, or I can't remember what I was talking about, or I can't land the plane, that's real. That is legitimately real. When I make a joke about a name, so when I say Urban Oscar Meyer, I know his name isn't Urban Oscar Meyer. Or when I say things that I think are clever that you may not think are funny, or you may think are clever, but not funny, or funny, but not clever. I thought of that. I did that. I could have thought of that. I'm here talking to you for 45 minutes a day off the top of my head. And sometimes I make mistakes that need corrections. Sometimes I forget what the hell I was talking about. Sometimes I don't remember names and sometimes I need Coca. So here we go. It's all of you asking questions and I'm going to just start. Hello, David. Hello. What are your feelings on MLB postseason champagne celebrations prior to winning the World Series? I understand each step is a huge achievement and should never be taken for granted, but it seems excessive to celebrate the same way for winning a one game wild card round as you would for winning the whole thing. Hoping to hear your thoughts on this. Do you cheer louder when you land, when you've been on the plane for eight hours versus one hour? Just asking. Do you give a 
larger standing ovation longer and you stand up straighter when it's a Tony award-winning musical versus a Tony award-winning nominee? It's not opening night, but it's the fourth game of the year and it's player introductions. Are you the type who cheers the loudest on opening day when they're all excited and they line up on the line now batting, batting third, number 27, John Carlson, and you cheer and cheer and cheer. But when you come back two weeks later and they announce the opening lineup and the starting lineup and you just sit on your hands and you're eating your popcorn. I'm the type of guy that I want to cheer the same way because you know I'm a consequentialist. And when you win a wild card game, single elimination, I want to celebrate the fact, hey, I get to play tomorrow. When you win a division series, you get to celebrate and say, hey, we're playing for a pennant. When you win the pennant, you celebrate that you're playing for a World Series, but that you won a pennant. Keep going backwards. When you clinch a wild card berth, you're celebrating that you made the playoffs with a chance to win the pennant in a World Series. Why should we differentiate the mode in which we celebrate what we do do differently when you celebrate the different rounds in baseball? There is a direct correlation between the amount that you are hung over and the lateness of the round in the playoffs. Direct correlation. When you clinch a wild card spot, you go out and party but you know, you have a game the next day or two days later, you're getting on a plane to go to a, to go to the road game or you're staying home because the team's coming to you, whatever the case may be, you're not going balls to the wall. Then when you win the division series, you feel pretty good about yourself that you're going to the LCS. You may be out till two thirty, three, but you're not going all the way, may. Then when you win the pennant and you're in Chicago, you're going out till five in the morning because you know you're going to the World Series and you are okay with feeling like crap the next day. And then when you win the World Series, it's a bender, a full three-day bender. But it looks to you as though we're doing it the same way because we pop the champagne, celebrate, pour it over your head, give interviews. But the mentality is totally different. And why is it that we can't, as a society, celebrate all victories? As a matter of fact, what makes me smile even more is we now celebrate losses in this world. We just did a show, and uh, I don't know when it was. And that's no joke. We did a show where we talked about participation trophies. It may have been the sit-down with Marty Fish, where we talked about how ridiculous it is that people get a trophy just for playing. Thanks for losing, you win. But if we're going to celebrate like that, once you do win, don't you deserve to really go out and show thanks and show celebration? So I want to finish answering this question by telling you a funny story. The only time I've experienced this, which makes me more fortunate than 99.99% of the people, but I've experienced postseason celebrations and being in a room with champagne flowing one time, although it was several times. It was clinching the wild card spot. Then it was beating the Giants. Then it was beating the Cubs. Then it was beating the Yankees. Do you know that I sat with Larry Beinfest, who was the GM at the time? He had not yet been named president of baseball operations. He was the GM. And we actually had a talk with John Silverman, the clubhouse manager at the time, who shockingly is still there. Not shocking because he's so good, the best in the business. Shocking because shh. 
I don't think Derek knows that he's still in the clubhouse. We actually sat with John and talked about what kind of celebration we had in mind should we progress throughout October. When we came up with what we wanted to do, we then approached Jack McKeon and told him what was in our head. And we said, when we clinch a playoff spot, we are going to party like it's 1998. When we clinch a division series win over the Giants, we are going to party like it's 1993. It's going to be low key. We're going to have some cigars. We're going to have some beers. But we are not doing a full champagne spray because we want the players to know that it's not enough. If we make the playoffs and lose in the first round, we will have had a great celebration, which our players deserve. But if we beat the Giants and have won a round of the playoffs, we are not going to be rewarded with a full celebration because we want the players to know that we now want to be greedy and want to win the pennant. And what you're saying is sort of than what you're saying in 2021, where we should celebrate with a champagne shower every round. Why didn't you feel that way in 03? And 18 years later, I have a totally different outlook of it. I'm a totally different person than I was 18 years ago. When I'm 35 years old, trying to do something that I'd only dreamt about, that I'd only watched my entire life, each World Series win, each champagne celebration in basketball and in baseball and in football, never imagining that I would be the beneficiary of such unbelievable luck, fortune, circumstance, and privilege that maybe I could be a part of that as an executive or a player or as anything. I had the view then that I wanted to appear that I was more serious and older than I was. At 35, I wanted people not to look at me as young. I wanted them to treat me seriously. I wanted them to know that I was firmly in charge. And so I would make decisions often based on that, based on the outward facing way that I perceived people were looking in toward me. Now at 53, I'm so much more comfortable in my skin. I could give an absolute rat pituitary gland what people think, what people say. And that grew over the years that I was in baseball and has continued ever since then. But back in 03, we wanted the players to not be satisfied. And it turns out having gotten to know players and gotten older because more years you spend in the game, the older you get, the players stay the same age. You know, it's very much like teaching. Very bizarre, right? You get older and your students all stay the same age. So I went from being a contemporary of the players to being like a father figure to the players. And I talked to them about this. And we talked about this very subject about celebrating. Ironically, we never got a chance to celebrate. I wanted to do a champagne style celebration. We won the Grapefruit League, but I got voted down. We won the Grapefruit League a few times because I said, hey, it's so hard to get a real champagne celebration. Why not celebrate anything you can? And as you get older, you go through a few tragedies. You go through a few heartbreaks, heartaches, and you realize anytime you have an opportunity, anytime to celebrate even the smallest of victories, whether it's waking up and having your feet on the ground that particular day, whether it is accomplishing something in your job, a raise, a promotion. Why not celebrate? We just say, oh, let's get a drink. It's an excuse. We can go out. Why not next time something unbelievable happens to you? Get some champagne 
and spray it on yourself. Don't be a wuss and get goggles. Get the sting in your eye. Wouldn't it be amazing if in this country, even in this world, if we all celebrated our own victories that way or our collective team victories in your office or with your family, like doing a spray champagne, not like a gender reveal where you hit a wiffle ball into the air and it's red or blue, but when your kid gets, gets into college or when your kid gets a good score on an exam or when you do something good with your family, like you have a family trip that actually ends up with you all not wanting to murder each other and retreating into four corners of your house when you get home from the family trip because you so badly need a moment by yourself, but you get home from a trip and you don't want that and you spray some champagne. What about when someone dies instead of the sorrow and I've had way too much death this year and I was thinking about this, what would be wrong with celebrating life instead of mourning death and having it be such a, an outrageously nightmarish bagel eating white fish and schmear eating festival of sadness? What if we pop champagne for a life well lived, however much it's cut short? Would you think that was strange if you went to a funeral? What about at a wedding where everyone, not just the bride and groom, where everybody is given plastic over their nice dresses, goggles, and there's a bunch of spraying with a bunch of great music playing? I think that'd be amazing, actually. I'm going to do that. I'm definitely going to do that. What would be wrong? That may be a New Year's resolution for next year. Speaking of which, one of you on Apple got to me with all of my New Year's resolutions. As you may recall, I did have New Year's resolutions and I went public on nothing personal with the New Year's resolutions. And that was back in January of 2021. And I don't want you to think I forgot about them. I still have November and December, but I'm keeping copious track. There a note on my phone, of course, now, I mean, I have no idea. Oh, here they are. I'm going to run at least three marathons planned. Find at least three new charities, three new charities. I will give you my list before you do your end of your charities, but I've already done that. My internet connection is unstable, Coca. I don't know if you can hear me. Three, shave under 52 times. I shave it most every Sunday and I have missed at least two Sundays, but I mark it down. So I will definitely shave under 52 times this year. Number four, I have not done. Go to my first baseball game since being fired. I don't think I'm going to do that unless I go to a playoff game. Hey, Marlins man, do you want to invite me to a playoff game? Would I do it? Mm, no. Although the Boston Marathon when is this being released, Coca? Is there a chance that you're listening to this while I'm running the Boston Marathon? Because I think the Red Sox may have a game today. This is all off the top of my head. You're going to think I'm making it up, but I'm not. Single-handedly, keep good and plenty and candy corn in business. Yes, I actually have good and plenty and candy corn, and I had it already today in between shows. True that. Juice cleanse at least 12 times. That's going to be a real problem. A real problem. I have not done one juice cleanse and I only have two months to go. Coca's telling me the Red Sox could be eliminated before this show even comes out. So you may be listening to me and the Rays may have already eliminated the Red Sox, which would make me and Coca rich beyond our wildest dreams. <laughs> 
you may be knowing whether or not the Rays celebrated with champagne before listening to the answer to that first question. Seven, hug a perfect stranger with no warning and no concomitant arrest warrant. Definitely done that. Someone asked me about that, and I said that I would do that during the Boston Marathon. Uh, but I did hug a stranger. I'm going to give you the story. Coca, do you have time for a quick story on the, on the stranger hug? This is a good one. So I was in New York City where it's quite dangerous to hug anyone because there's obviously the possibility of cunicle disease. There's always the chance of a little dagger right in the side, right under the pancreas below the liver that's inflamed at the moment. But I love living on the edge. So I was picking up food and I had such appreciation. There is a store that is on the east side of New York City with the best bagels in the country, bar none. You can argue for your bagels. I don't care. The number one bagels in the country, in the world are H&H bagels. And I had had a long time pass without having H&H bagels because I have no taste, no smell. So why am I going to eat bagels? Although I've gained about eight pounds since I got COVID, which means that I'm just eating lots of good and plenty and candy corn. I go into h and I'm going to get a fresh bagel. And I said, are they hot? I'm referring to the bagels. And the answer was the plain bagels are. So I move to the left of the cash register and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've been to H&H, there's a front counter. I walked to the left of that front, front counter. I walked one step toward the rack of bagels and I gave a man hug to the man who told me they were hot. And believe me, he's a stranger. And believe me, we are now estranged. And believe me, I now can't go within 25 feet of H&H. Which really stinks because I love it. But I gave him a nice little snuggle. Number eight. College moving. I will assemble something. Yes, sir. Caleb, my son, moved into school in August, and I purposefully, it was a very hot during the heat wave in the Northeast, and he lives on the seventh floor of a five-floor walk-up, a dorm where they don't expect parents to be 53, 55, however old you are, walking up the stairs. The level of schwitz was shocking. The fans were blowing hot air like you were living inside a blow dryer. It was a nightmare. Have you ever seen arguing amongst people who don't even live together anymore? It's a whole Megillah, but you know what? It was a beautiful moment. And there was this thing, no matter how much money you think someone has, no matter what you think their life is like, I have news for you. Everyone squats to pee. Everyone goes to the bathroom and everyone shops at Bed Bath & Beyond and Target. They just do. So I have this box that is from Bed Bath & Beyond, which made for a great day, by the way, maybe a little visit to Home Depot, just if we have time, just if we have time, but we probably won't have time. And it was a rack for his clothes. And it came unassembled, but it came with all the tools required. This is no exaggeration because I timed it. It took one hour and 47 minutes for me to do something where the machine, where the box said assembly required time needed 15 minutes, one hour and 40 plus minutes. It took me full sweat. Caleb, do you want, do you need help? Are you okay? Sweating so much that the paper with the picture got wet on it because my hands were so sweaty, but I would not be deterred. And I was thinking about you, the nothing personal audience while I was putting it together. 
and I did it. I assembled something. I have no ability because I, you, you know, I, um, I have no spatial abilities. So when I look at a picture, I can't recreate that picture. And when it says you've got A into B and then AB through the D hole into the C cup, right? I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, I can dream about it, Dan Hartman, but I don't know what they're talking about, but I did it. Number nine, bake a cake. You're goddamn right I did. Manischewitz Passover chocolate cake. Boom. It comes with its own foil. It comes where you uh, you put the, the batter in, you mix it with an electric mixer, you add an egg, you add some water, you mix it, and then you put the batter in an enclosed baking pan, put it after having warmed up the oven, let's say at 375, put it in for 40 minutes, and then you make the frosting with something, and then you frost it, and then you pound it with matzah. I did bake a cake. 10, keep nothing personal going. <laughs> and there you have it. So the New Year's resolutions I did remember and I do take seriously. Two, I want to talk to Samson. Okay. I'm a Brewers fan. Yeah. And I've been drinking that stuff you talked about for two days since the Devin Williams news. I remember a few years ago, the Brewers gave one of their playoff shares to Bob Euchre. Is there any chance they don't give a share to Williams? <gasps> I just started listening about a month ago and loved the show. I've always been fascinated by business and love sports. Didn't know this was the perfect podcast for me until recently. Thanks. No, no. Thank you. We'll keep going. It's fun to combine business and sports and fun stories and a little bit of lunacy along the way, isn't it? Yes. According to the numbers, people are liking it. So keep going. All right. Devin Williams. Do you remember the story? The guy who broke his hand by punching a wall after celebrating the Brewers making the playoffs. I told you that that was a major problem for Devin Williams and that the Brewers were going to ship him away and ship him away. They did. He's rehabbing in Arizona. The Brewers are playing the Atlanta Braves, although giveaway evergreen. That series could be over. Maybe it's just starting. <laughs> I don't know. We're not live today, okay? Check my Twitter at David P. Sampson while you're listening to this. And there's a damn good chance I'm tweeting right now while walking the marathon with my friend, Brett Parker, who has Parkinson's disease. I ran my first marathon with him in 1996. It's been 25 years of running marathons with him. He did not have Parkinson's when we started. He's had Parkinson's for well over a decade. We've raised almost a million dollars for Parkinson's to find a cure, and we're doing the marathon. We're going to end up walking the Boston Marathon. There's a decent chance that you're going to hear from me throughout the day, live on Instagram or Twitter, or maybe, Coco, we could do a YouTube show while we're doing a YouTube show, having recorded a YouTube show. So while the Boston Marathon is going on, the Brewers Braves will be in game three, and I will be somewhere Maybe in Wellesley. Do you know what goes on in the Boston Marathon at Wellesley? Have you ever heard of that college, Coca? This would be actually great for you. This may get you running. It's called the Wall of Kisses. You run past Wellesley and there are scores of girls. Wait a minute. Is COVID going to impact this? It better not. They kiss all the marathoners who are going by. If you want to avoid it, you stay sort of to the left. But if you don't, you can run right past them and they're barricaded because the marathoners get the whole road. And 
good job just completely destroying this question. Why are you writing that, Coca? I haven't destroyed this question. I'm just, I, I'm on a detour. What do you care? Anyway, I don't know why we we're talking about Wellesley. Oh, being shipped out. Devin Williams is in Arizona. He will not be at the Brewer Braves series. Now, being shipped out to Arizona for rehab, being with your teammates, that's punishment. Can the Brewers stop Devin Williams from getting a playoff share? Let me explain what a playoff share is, and let me then explain to you why they can't. can't. There is a pot, not pot, a pot. It's a big pot. Every time a playoff game is played, money goes from you, the people who buy tickets, from you, the national broadcast people who have the rights to show the games, they put money into the pot. You want to buy some food? In the pot. You want to buy drinks, merchandise? In the pot. Every dollar from a postseason game goes into a pot. From that pot, you pay. You pay a few people. You pay some umpires. Then you pay the team that hosted the games a percentage. But then there's something called playoff shares. Every team who's in the playoffs gets a part of that pot. And the pot keeps growing throughout October. It's the same pot. One big, large cauldron. If you lose in the wild card game like the Yankees did, you get a tiny little tiny piece of the pot. And if you win the World Series, you get a way, way bigger piece of the pot. The calculation is done based on size. So the more people who come to games, when the Marlins played the Yankees in 03, the Marlins had 60,000 people. The Yankees had 60,000 people. Prices were high. Pot was big. The pot gets split up amongst playoff teams, and the lion's share goes to each team. It doesn't matter if you win. You don't get more for winning. You get the same amount per round. So when you're in the World Series, you get X amount from the pot. If you host extra games because you have home field advantage, you can get more of the pot. But you get a pot. Do you know what the team does with that pot? That's not for the owner to buy a yacht or Picasso's. It's not for him to pay off any debt. That gets distributed to players. It's all for them. It's the player pot. But the team does not get a say as to who gets the money. The players vote on that. So when you have clinched a playoff spot, or even if you're in the race and you don't know if you're going to clinch to the last day, you have to have a meeting prior to that because you have to submit a list to Major League Baseball of who's getting a share of the pot. So let's just pretend the Brewers have their meeting and it's led by Christian Yelich. You sit with players, management's not allowed to be there. Clubbies are not allowed to be there. Managers, coaches, nope. It is just players only. We keep security outside the door. We, we keep cups to the door to see if we can hear anything, but generally you can't hear a thing. And in that meeting, the players are debating. And it's like a fraternity when you are being like an old school or animal house, when they put your picture up on the wall. And if you get enough stuff thrown at you, then you're out. And if someone says, ah, let's let him in. So a player gets his name on the wall full. A full share means that you get one, one of a share, 100% of one share. Let's say the pot of money that you get is a million dollars. 
And let's say it's way more than that, but just say it's a million dollars. And let's say there are a hundred thousand players. I'm just making it very easy. So that'd be $10 a player would be a full share. Because you take the total amount of money you get divided by the total number of shares that you give. And that's how you know what the amount of shares are. Our year was like 300 grand for a share. And that's, it's, it's more now depending on ticket prices and size of audience and, and size of ballpark. So a name gets brought up, share, share, share. What about this guy? He was only on our team in April. I really liked him though. We're going to give him an eighth of a share. What about that guy? Oh, that guy we traded for at the deadline. He's been very helpful to us. We're going to give him a full share, even though he wasn't here all year. Oh, this guy was traded to us on June 20th. He's been there over half a year, but he wasn't on the playoff roster. He's going to get half a share. This guy was on the team all year, full share. And it goes on and on and on. Then they get to anybody else. Clubhouse managers historically get a full share given to them by the players because clubhouse managers do a lot of stuff for players throughout the course of a year. And it is expected that you will tip. I have seen clubhouse managers not get a full share, but that just means players are being cheap because when you give an extra share to someone, that means you tell baseball that we're taking our pot and we are dividing it into 60 full shares and 20 half shares. So that's the equivalent of 70 shares. We don't get a bigger pot because we have more shares. It just means that each share then becomes smaller. Traveling secretary. 10 grand. Sometimes the players say we're not going to give even a share, but we're going to give a dollar amount. Assistant PR guy, 25 grand. You can give shares to anybody you want at any time. You also can take shares away. And there is zero appeals process. There is zero that MLB can do. There's zero that the team can do. Ownership, the manager, the person who gets screwed can't do a thing about it because it's all done anonymously. So you don't know, wink, wink, which player suggested that you not get a full share. It is so political, I can't even tell you because everybody wants to share. Everybody wants money. Everybody. Are you shocked by that? Everybody does. And when players do not give what is considered normal shares to certain jobs, that creates some consternation in the clubhouse that then requires me to step in and say, what the hell, man? Why didn't you give him a share? What did he do? Why are you being this way? It's a matter of your share going down by 10 grand or two grand. So we go through all of that and it can get ugly. So the Brewers, Devin Williams has been a huge part of getting them to where they are. It would be shocking if they do not give him a full share. And the best part is we'll never know. It can get leaked by MLB because they get a list once it's done. It can get leaked by the union. It can leaked by a player. But I wouldn't believe all the leaks necessarily. Could the Brewers do something in a punitive way? They really could. It's not out of the question that they will. That is a great way to see and a great question.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Next question. I actually have an idea for your show. For all of us mere mortals who have never been inside an actual clubhouse, I think it would be interesting for you to really walk everyone through what happens with the Yankees over the next few weeks. Are there exit meetings with players? Who will make the decision about Chapman? Chapman? Do you mean Cashman? Who will make the decision about Cashman and Boone, and how is that done? Do Boone and Cashman get a chance to make a case for their jobs? Does Steinbrenner consult any outside experts or just himself? What are the factors in letting Cashman stay or not? Wow. This must be a Yankee fan. Did you write this question? We were totally despondent after they lost to the Red Sox. Because this has to be a pretty recent question, right, Coca? So I like this in the mailbag. All right, let me give you an insight into how this works. If you've never been inside a clubhouse, I don't know why you say you're mere mortals who have never been inside an actual clubhouse. Just because I've been in a clubhouse does not make me anything other than a mere mortal, I assure you. In many instances, I'm less than mortal, immortal, below mortal. That's funny to me. The studio audience is not laughing. Okay, so exit meetings with players. Once you lose the way it happened with the Yankees, Remember, I told you they're going to get on the plane and get back to New York, and then they're going to go to the clubhouse the next day and get their stuff. We do meet with the players. We don't necessarily call them exit meetings because if a player is not going to be back with us next year, we do not, under any scenario, meet with them because it really doesn't make a difference. If we know a player is on the fence, on the edge, where it's a young player who maybe will make the team out of spring training, maybe won't, We will have a plan in place for that player and it will have been prepared well before the playoffs started. And the plan will say, here's what you need to work on during the off season. We'd like you to be on a diet. We'd like you to eat better. We'd like you to start taking supplements. We'd like you to get stronger. We'd like you to not throw. We'd like you to throw, throw less, throw more, throw differently. We'd like you to take more swings, fewer swings, fly to us. Don't fly to us. We'll fly to you. There is a menu of things that we say to players. And it depends, right? If you're a long-term guy who's already signed, we just say, hey, see you in spring training. When it's a very professional player, a a Martin Prado, a a Giancarlo, an AJ Ramos, someone who knows the work that they have to do, anything. When it's someone else, like a Ricky Nolasco, who may want to go to Vegas for six weeks in the offseason and do nothing but party, which, by the way, I'm all in, we'll probably say, hey, when you're done with this Vegas trip, make sure you work in a salad. So the answer is yes, we 100% go through and have exit meetings with players. 
So then the question is about Boone and Cashman. Who makes the decision? Well, I'd like to answer that as quickly as I can. Ready? There are five letters. First letter. I'm going to do it like, uh, are you watching this on YouTube? I'm going to do it like uh, charades. Five letters. Five letters. First letter. After N before P. Second letter. Three before the end. Are you with me? O, W, N, E, R, owner. The owner makes the decision on both the general manager and the manager. Not just in my experience with Jeffrey Loria, in every experience. Do you remember Peter Seidler when the Padres fired Tingler this week or last week or whenever you're listening to this? He gave a quote that said, I am giving AJ Preller full autonomy to hire the next manager. Horse hockey. There's not one owner in all of baseball who gives autonomy to the general manager or president of baseball operations to hire a manager. It does not exist. The owner is involved every step of the way. Some owners actually say to you, you know what? I'm not going to do the first round of interviews. And that is totally normal. Because we'll have to go through the seal of gruel and you have to interview minorities, majorities, and people of color and people who are tall and short and left and right, and maybe even a few centers, some he's, some hers, some they's. But then you narrow and minnow, winnow and narrow, minnow, winnow and narrow. Are those synonyms? Then the owner comes in, sits down with interviews. And then says, by the way, we're hiring who I said we were going to hire anyway. But thanks for being a part of it. Sometimes the interview process can actually inform an owner who he wants to hire. But every owner makes that decision. Now, presidents get involved with interviewing of GMs and managers. But when I'm interviewing GMs, and we always promoted from within, we promoted Larry Beinfest to replace Jim Beatty. We promoted Mike Hill to replace Larry Beinfest. We promoted Dan Jennings or probably in a different order. I can't remember what. And of course, we're involved and we sit down, but the owner is doing it absolutely and fully. Are we clear on that? Please don't let your owner say, oh, that wasn't me. Of course it was. Now, does Steinbrenner consult any outside experts or just himself? Oh, do I love that question. Every owner has a group of people who they use as their voice in their head. The funny part is that group of people is not always baseball people. It can be people in the owner's life. It can be people in the owner's family. It can be people anywhere. It can be people at a restaurant. It could be you, the fan, who's writing something on Twitter that someone then calls the owner and says, hey, did you hear that Phil Nevin is a bad third base coach? Oh, Christ, we better fire him. Owners get information from everywhere. They use everything. Many owners, it's funny that successful people, many successful people have this as a trait, which to me is a terribly dangerous trait to have. It's called LTIH. Do you guys have that trait? Do you use people who have that trait to your advantage because you know they have that trait? LTIH, last thing I heard. How many people do you know where they put into action the last thing they heard? 
and you know how to deal with them, right? You got to make sure if you want to get what you want, that you are the voice that is the last thing the person who's making the decision hears. So you skulk around waiting outside the office. You wait for everyone else to walk in. You wait for all the interviews to be finished. You wait for everyone to have their say and you outwork everyone because you stay up later, you work harder, and then you scurry in and you whisper, I really think we should be doing X, Y, Z. And then all of a sudden the owner says, you know what? I have a decision. We're going to do X, Y, Z. That's called LTI. So you think Steinbrenner is different than any owner? It's not that they consult people on the outside, and it's not that any of them are experts. None of that is the point. It just matters who are friends of the owner, who thinks they know a lot, right? It's a weird business. People who are chemists or physicists or surgeons, they're not very often LTIHers because that's sort of dangerous. Hey, I heard if I do the incision just like this, I can get right to the gallbladder faster. I don't remember who told me that, but someone did. I'm just going to do a little <coughs> azaro. Oh, wait a minute. No, I shouldn't do that. I should go in through the gullet. All right. LTIH, I'll go in through the gullet. Ooh, yeah. I thought maybe I could mix hydrogen and peroxide with a little bit of carbon and then light that on fire. Yeah, someone said that. I think I can do that. And that's going to be a very good compound. It's funny, right? Chemists and physicists and doctors, they're never LTIHers. But people in sports, those people are major LTIHers. It's not abnormal. Hi, David. Hi. Thanks for answering this question. I was curious how teams and broadcasting partners negotiate when MLB playoff games will take place. I assume the nighttime slots are more valuable, but do teams get any say in when they'll be playing? <laughs> no. Are conflicts with other events in the arena taken into account? Great question. When you have your own arena or ballpark, or you are a tenant, Part of the lease, when you sign a lease with a tenant for a ballpark, they know that if they want a baseball team, you are not allowed to have any event scheduled in that ballpark in October. When you have your own ballpark, the rules are very clear from MLB that you will not, under any circumstances, schedule anything in October. When you get public money to help build your ballpark. And as part of that, the public gets to use the facility certain days of the year, certain number of times, part of that lease that is available for reading at your pleasure in public. For those of you who don't think it is, but it is, the lease says nothing in October. So the answer is there's never conflicts with other events. During the season, when you are making your schedule, the way you deal with conflicts is you submit a list of no-goes to Major League Baseball the year before. That's how far in advance you have to make your concert schedule. Like if you want the Rolling Stones or Guns N' Roses or Elvis Costello or Bruce Hornsby or Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel or yada, or yada, or yada, or Joel Osteen or anybody, you say, we cannot host a game on August 23rd or on April 18th. But October, no. No events. Is it based on time zones? Well, you're not going to have a 1 p.m. Eastern game 
played in LA because the union is a no. That is in the agreement that there will not be a game played prior to 10 o'clock in the morning. It may be 11 o'clock in the morning. I think it may be 11, which is why the Patriots Day game that's normally played in April when the Red, ironically, the Red Sox have a game during the Boston Marathon this year, even though it's in October, not April. But the, the Red Sox host a home game every single Boston Marathon Patriots Day, every single April. That's part of the great thing about the Boston Marathon. And that game, I believe, Coca, and I totally could be wrong, but I have a small feeling that game has an 11 o'clock start. And that, I believe, is the earliest you can play. So time zones are definitely a factor. The West Coast doesn't play the early games. Do the broadcast partners ultimately have more say? Yes. So you know very well if you're the Yankees that you are going to have primetime games. You may have a 4 o'clock game once in a while, but you're generally going to be the 7 o'clock game. You know that if you're the Dodgers, you're going to be playing either primetime on the East Coast or primetime on the West Coast. You know if you are the Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros that you are going to be playing the early game as often as possible. And the reason that this happens is that all of the money that these broadcasters make is during the playoffs. You need them to make as much money as possible to be as attractive to the advertisers as possible so they get to set the schedule. It's why you always say, and I hear people say, how come there's no afternoon World Series games? Hello. Of course, I don't like staying up till 12, 15 watching games. Of course, I get exhausted because it's like seven Monday night football games in a row. When I was young, Monday night football was like nine o'clock. Those games started and I was absolutely exhausted on Tuesdays. Now, at least it's eight o'clock, but those games end 1130. The Major League Baseball World Series games can go till 12. But guess what? It's never going to be an afternoon game because Fox or whoever owns the rights and it's currently Fox, they're not going to waste a World Series game. They want to win the primetime slot because that gets to dictate the rates that they get to charge throughout their portfolio. That's why baseball is such an attractive summer product. That's why they don't want World Series games in November. They want everything in October. Then they want to be done with it. And the money starts flowing throughout the organization. So primetime is all what it's at. That really was horrible English. That's all where it's at. I can't wait for the playoffs to start, but I've always wondered how the schedules are determined. Oh, I think I've answered that. That was the question. Okay. Um, the last thing you asked in that question is, is there a negotiation? Uh, I would like to point out that there is. Major League teams can go to commissioner's office, not for dates because the dates are set, but they can go and say, and we did this uh, in 2003, we said that we did not want to be the afternoon game in Florida because of traffic and people unable to come from Miami up to Broward, where we were playing at the time at Pro Player Park. And uh, it didn't work. We were playing the Giants in the afternoon slot in Florida because, after all, it was the wild card Marlins that no one cared about. So they wanted and had interest in the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs and the other teams that were involved in the playoffs. So we absolutely can go to major league baseball and attempt to get what we want, but it really doesn't work well because the commissioner just explains to you, Hey, it's about the money. You know that David, just tell your players to play afternoon games, tell them to try to win some games, get to the LCS, and then you'll play night games for the most part, make it to the world series. You'll always play night games. And remember the commissioner says, and the broadcasters say it's just business. 
This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.